This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Tuesday afternoon. Ah, you thought I'd probably say good Monday. That's what happens when you have an extended long weekend and you come back feeling like it's Monday. But no, I am on track. It is Tuesday and so nice to have you join me this afternoon. And it's a it's a conversation I've said before. We've had lots in the past and we're going to have lots in the future as we talk about recreational marijuana. I, I was in Toronto for a sister's weekend, had a lot of fun with my sisters. We were down in Kensington Market and it was really interesting. This, this was all medicinal marijuana. There are these cannabis shops that were several in such a small little area. And there's lots of questions about cannabis and the medicinal marijuana, but how our world is going to look once recreational marijuana is legalized in, um, well, they say July 1st of 2018. And time and time again, when we've talked about marijuana, whether it be the legal medicinal marijuana or the future, there is this question about what is the impact it will have on motorists. How will police know that someone who has been smoking marijuana is impaired? And we go back to this that we really don't have a foolproof method. And I've had guests on before saying that, yeah, this is what I use. This is how I can tell. Because right now in the workplace, uh, a lot of companies need to know if their employees are working while impaired. Not necessarily just focusing on cannabis. It could be on um, prescription drugs. It could be on illicit drugs. But I wanted to spend just a bit of time this half hour and starting the conversation off with uh, Nicholas Loverich. He is with the Washington State University Professor Emeritus, and they are currently working on a study and using volunteers to look at developing a marijuana breathalyzer. Professor Loverich, thanks so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. You have to, first of all, tell us, Nicholas, um, the the basis of your research and how you want to eventually find a a breathalyzer, rather, that will detect impairment while smoking marijuana. Is that it? Well, this uh, actually, this project began in 2010 before we legalized uh, recreational marijuana in Washington because we already had a problem of impaired driving from uh, drugs. That is, people are not drinking alcohol and getting impaired, but they're taking drugs, maybe maybe prescription medicines, maybe illicit drugs. About half of the time it's uh, cannabis. And then they're, they're stopped by the police for erratic driving, and, uh, and they run a test for alcohol and find that it's not alcohol. So uh, there's a whole group of police officers that started out in uh, LAPD and then became an international organization called uh, DREs, Drug Recognition Experts. These are officers who are called to the scene of uh, suspected impaired driving, and they get special training, uh, several weeks of training, a whole year of actual observation, and then, and then being observed while they do it, assessing people for impairment by any one of seven categories of drugs, cannabis being one of them. So our initial, our initial uh, challenge was law enforcement came to us and said, we have a portable breath test for alcohol, but we don't have anything equivalent to that for impairment by drugs. Do you think you could, you could uh, do something like that and, and detect the presence of drugs in the breath? 
And so we have, um, we have a lot of very sensitive instruments that are, that use something called ion mobility spectrometry. And that is used to detect explosives in the airports and drugs in international border transfer. And so, uh, it does ambient sensing and so it's taking in air and it determines the presence of molecules of, uh, whatever type, uh, explosive or drug. So the problem is these are big units, and they're not very mobile, and they're not useful for police. And we had a company that works in that type of detection come to Pullman, Washington, and meet with our law enforcement organization, sheriffs and police chiefs, to um, describe the problem, uh, along with the Washington Traffic Safety Commission, to describe the problem of of drug-impaired driving, and that it's a growing problem, and as our population ages and and takes more prescription medicines and still drives uh, they're 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 running the risk of uh, impaired driving so we we looked at the science and we found that we can see uh, almost all the drugs in breath pretty easily THC is the hardest one it's not like most uh, small molecules it's a large molecule and it is a, a lipid and it sticks to the surface of your tongue and parts of your mouth, and it's absorbed into the fat, fatty tissue of the body. Uh, most other drugs go directly in the bloodstream after they're vaporized and show up in a, a, lung, a, a lung blood to air transfer that happens in the lung. But this is a different process for THC. So we, we, once we legalized marijuana, we, we shifted our focus to the hardest to detect drug, which is THC. In five years, we're hoping that every police officer in the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere that needs to worry about uh, drug-impaired driving will have an instrument like the portable breath test that will, that will detect the presence of impairing drugs. In any one year, we had five years of archival data from the state of Washington, uh, thanks to the Washington uh, State Patrol, and we could see cannabis was accounting for uh, 60% of the drug-impaired driving in any year, and that in any one year, 10 drugs would be would be accounting for 98% of all the cases. And the drugs will change year to year, but but uh, 10 of them will get almost everything. The instrument we're working on uh, will, in time, be able to detect. Uh, uh, 20 drugs at the same time, including cannabis. So that's the origin of the of the uh, project. And then we've been working on cannabis very diligently to the point where we have uh, prototype instruments in the lab that work in the lab, and we have to uh, miniaturize them for use in and testing in the field. We hope to be able to do that next summer. This year we're doing calibration studies with volunteers in Pullman, people that come in and do a baseline blood draw and uh, oral fluids and breath tests. And they go off and they consume cannabis and and the taxi brings them back to the hospital and we repeat the process of drawing samples and then they go to the back of the hospital and they, they uh, are subjected to a standard field sobriety test by officers who are trained to do uh, drug 
detection, not DREs, but uh, A-ride officers, regular officers with 16 hours of special training for uh, cannabis detection. Well, Nicholas, you and know... And then I, uh, they come back. I, I, sorry, Nicholas, I just only have uh, so much time here, but uh, I'm glad you talk about trying to come up with a portable device because even when you talk about those specialized officers, we have shared a number of stories where those officers have been wrong in the field, thinking that, yes, you've smoked yes. marijuana, and the people say, I don't even smoke marijuana. So we know the importance of yes. actually having that science and having it at yes. the roadside. Here's, the, here's one of the questions that I know I'm going to receive because there's, and you kind of touched on it when it comes to marijuana or thc it stays in a person's system for so long how do you know if you uh, to be able to test someone when they actually had the marijuana and what level of thc would make them impaired whereas with alcohol we have the 0.08 blood alcohol limit here in, in canada yes so how do you do you, yeah, do you have to come well, up with then that uh, a determination as well with THC levels? It's very difficult because there are two types of users. There are occasional users mm-hmm. and there are um, uh, chronic users. And the chronic users can have quite a high level of THC content in their blood and they can still drive perfectly well. Mm-hmm. The people that use it occasionally will peak very quickly and crash very quickly, and, um, and, and their impairment is very pronounced. So we, we have to always collect data on two types of people, occasional users and frequent users. And we know that one standard, five nanograms per milliliter of blood in, in the state of Washington is our per se limit for presumed impairment. But it's not going to hold. We've seen many of our volunteers who are uh, uh, daily smokers are perfectly able to pass the standard field sobriety test. If we put them on a simulator, they would drive perfectly well, even though they have quite a bit of THC in their system. So it's two different types of people. And uh, you mentioned workplace uh, situations. This is the same thing. We need an instrument that will detect acute recent exposure. Mm. Uh, we know for most people, uh, by two hours to three hours, the the high is passed uh, for uh, for cannabis, and and so our law reads that you shouldn't drive for two hours after you've smoked, and uh, should probably be three hours, but. But anyway, that's for the occasional user. For the chronic user, uh, it's a whole different standard. They really have to have a lot of THC and uh, to be impaired. Uh, we haven't. We've seen quite a quite a bit of uh, of um, uh, medical marijuana users that have a high tolerance, developed a high tolerance, and so they will have a high CBD. Uh, mix with the low THC. They don't want to get very high, but they want to get relief for their pain or mm-hmm. insomnia or, or digestive disorders or whatever they're, they're suffering, spasmatic disorders generally. So, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to, uh, to police impairment by cannabis. You know, the officers need a lot of training, but they definitely need a tool yeah. that tells them, yes, somebody recently smoked 
marijuana and they're driving and they shouldn't be. Nicholas, I'm just chronic t- or <laughs> yeah, Nicholas, I've just got Go to ahead. take a break here because I know you're a wealth of information, but I, I want to get into a little bit more the challenges that your research is going to face, especially when it comes to determining a level of THC that is going to be in yeah. someone who is impaired. Nicholas Lovrich is my guest, and he is with the Washington State University. I know I'm getting a lot of texts and I definitely will be opening up the phone lines at 3.30. I'm also trying to squeeze in another guest here, but I've got a couple of more questions for Nicholas. I'll do that after this. Professor Nicholas Lovert is with the Washington State University. And as he mentioned, since 2010, that was a couple of years ahead of when uh, Washington State legalized recreational use of marijuana. They began working on some type of device that police could use for roadside checks when it came to uh, sobriety checks for those smoking cannabis, but also a number of other drugs as well. Nicholas, and and I'm getting lots of questions on this, but um, one person says, you do talk though about two types of smoker and you said the the occasional smoker and the longer term smoker so do you think that's also going to have to play in any decision by authorities when it comes to um, determining who is going to be charged with impairment yes so that will be litigated for a long long time uh we have colleagues in colorado also working on this problem so they're doing a study uh, involving both chronic smokers and uh episodic smokers or occasional smokers and they're finding the same thing we're finding that the the um the um um psychodynamics of the of thc's impact is very different for the two types of people the people that smoke a lot and smoke uh, just about all the time they'll have a lot of carboxy thc in their blood so when when blood is taken as evidence it will it will identify people that are um uh, frequent users and and it'll identify people who are infrequent users they won't be storing so much carboxy thc in their blood but the, uh, you know we took 30 years to get to the 0.08 and sometimes 0.05 standard now is being adv- advocated for alcohol and it's going to take as many years for cannabis because it's even more complicated than alcohol we have a lot of of research on alcohol impairment we don't have anywhere near this amount of research on cannabis it's so hard to do research with cannabis because it's a schedule one banned substance and internationally forbidden so uh, labs can't keep it unless they have a special license in the united states we can only get a weed for the lab from the university of mississippi and it's about three percent to six percent thc and what people are smoking now is between 17 and 24 percent TAC. So it's not the same thing that uh, that users are are encountering in in recreational marijuana use. And even with your volunteers, then there you're using controlled cannabis for them just to be able to see how they are reacting to it. No, we're not allowed to purchase. We're because not allowed the, okay. to handle. So mm. they have to go to the store and buy, you know, something that they prefer, and then they tell us exactly. Oh what the labeling is, but the labeling we know is not terribly accurate. We should actually be able to laboratory test everything that is being smoked, but Mm. it's beyond our uh, resources to do that. So they tell us what they smoke. Most of the people that are occasional uh, take our recommendation to use Blue Dream, about 17%, 17 to 20% 
THC content. Does this still go back to you're going to have to determine whether someone is under the influence of any kind of drug through that roadside sobriety test, what they're looking for, but then to be conclusive, they've got to come up with some type of system or product that, as you say, a marijuana breathalyzer so that you can be sure that that person is impaired because of marijuana and not something else. Yes, exactly. So... So the the uh, acute exposure we call it recent acute exposure. That's what our our instrument will do, and it'll tell us the amount of of uh, THC consumed, as well as the fact uh, that it was consumed recently. We're doing this testing in the in the laboratory in the uh, hospital because we need to know the window of detection. Uh, how long can we see THC in the breath and in the oral fluids and in the bread, in the blood? Nicholas, and so before we I go, have people I, come in. Yeah, I, I want to make sure I get one yes, more question in here. Someone just said, though, I'm curious if this test will indicate if someone has eaten uh, edible marijuana, cannies, or edibles. It would still be, just depends on that level of THC. No, edibles is a completely different oh. <laughs> thing because it goes passes through the liver and it's not the same process as volatilizing THC in smoke. So that's that's uh, that. This will not detect uh, edibles. And edibles comes on uh, half an hour to an hour after consumption. So. Um, uh, it's very rare to find in the driving public the use of edibles. The the more common use is uh, smoking because people can get as high as they would like to get, and they can do it quickly, and the and the impact is virtually instantaneous. So, Which is different so than edibles, still yeah. the vast okay. majority... Yeah, vast majority of uh, driving impairment is from smoking. Well, very interesting, Nicholas. Uh, as I say, we want to see what's happening where it's been legal for a while, just to see how things are going to roll out here in Canada. I appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, very, very happy to do it, and and uh, good luck with uh, with coping with the outcomes. There's a lot of unexpected problems with uh, cannabis legalization, but but it is. Uh, it is doable. Uh, but law enforcement can get there, and we'll get uh, we'll get the technology to help them in, in due course. Good stuff, Nicholas Loverich. He's with uh, Washington State University, a professor emeritus there. Uh, after the break, I've got lots of text to get to. I'll get to your phone calls as well. Four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. And I want to have a quick conversation as well with Keith Fagan. He's with Calgary Four Twenty Cannabis. We're back after this. Yes, that is the number to call or text. And I've got a number of texts coming in here because we, we, we do talk about this a lot. And uh, maybe someone might be critical and say we talk about it too much. But there are just so many moving parts when we think of what's going to happen in just over a year when the federal government legalizes recreational marijuana. So I thought it was important to spend a bit of time talking to researchers out of Washington State University and seeing where we are when it comes to breathalyzers for impairment for cannabis. But also, uh, I'm getting a lot of text saying, why do we keep talking about just cannabis? There's lots of people who are using prescription drugs and they could be driving impaired as well. And that's obviously why they've got to have the right tool for uh, police officers. I want to talk to Keith Fagan, though. He's the founder of Calgary 420 Cannabis Community. He joins us today. Hello, Keith. Hello, Angela. For people who haven't heard of Calgary 420 Cannabis, what's that all about? Well, we're about advocating for truth and uh, science and evidence in cannabis. 
Uh, we've been advocating on, on public um, events and stuff like that. Uh, we're not your typical, stereotypical uh, consumers, though. We're out there telling you not to consume in public, to stand there and listen to us and don't consume because that's just going to make it too easy for our reefer madness foes to be able to brush us aside. So then it gets people to come and see us, the non-consumers, and see the evidence and the science that we provide freely to the public. Keith, is there a proven marijuana breathalyzer out there right now? Well, no. You know, Canada is looking at one. Actually, they reported today the police have been doing some tests and that over a thousand different tests uh, with certain products that they're using or devices that they're using. And they're saying that they work very well. But unfortunately, you know, it, it's much more complicated than just a saliva test and uh, beer, uh, a blood test and whatnot. And we need to uh, test for actual impairment. You know, whether it's physically or if the person has physical impairments, if we could uh, use a, uh, their brain to, you know, ask them questions and and that way find out if they're actually really impaired and not just been consuming cannabis. Because a, a long-time consumer such as myself, over 46 years now, I can consume, say, uh, a joint if I don't smoke anymore. But if I consumed a joint, it would be like taking a low-dose aspirin from my wife which is a non-consumer. She Her drug of choice are tobacco and, and uh, coffee, so she doesn't consume cannabis or any other drugs for that matter. So again, she's not impaired if she takes an aspirin for a headache or something. Same thing goes for me and, and a lot of the consumers that are medical that consume daily or almost daily. You know, their experiences are much different. They learn, they drive with it and that, and, and the testing, we've seen a lot of the testing on, on simulation driving, is that the people, these people are not impaired. They have a higher amount of uh, nanograms where we're looking at using two to five nanograms as impairment. It's way too low to start with, except for saying somebody like my wife that doesn't consume, if she smoked two or three tokes, she would be happy, hungry, and then sleepy. And this would all happen within 30 minutes of her consuming it. So it's much different. It's a very complicated issue, and it's not just something simple that we can do a saliva test or a blood test, for that matter. Yeah, and and even my researcher from Washington State University, he touched on that, that there really are two types of marijuana users, and you touched on it with the episodic versus the chronic and how the THC is going to be showing up in their system different than the other person's system. So I think it becomes the most important part is to be able to tell, first of all, if uh, there is an impairment. And um, my, my concern is he talked about the U.S. officers, the police officers who have had this special training that they know, yep, you've been using cannabis without even having any science behind it. And they've been dead wrong in a lot of cases. So I think you have to have one working in conjunction with the other, the sobriety test and what you're seeing on the roadside. But then you've got to have some actual science to back that up. Well, it's the same thing like I was saying with my wife. She got stopped once in a tech stop, and the person that was in the car with her was a medical consumer, and they had consumed before she picked them up, so they smelled of cannabis. And and they tested Debbie, you know, she 
for alcohol and all that come up zero, of course. And, of course, she's not on cannabis. She hasn't consumed cannabis. But they suspended her license, and she lost her car for 24 hours. So it was judge, jury, and conviction and punished, and she wasn't even high. And this is happening a lot. I know a lot of people this happens to, and it's very common, and it's something that we're victimizing people, uh, relying on reaper madness. And, it, and then we're ending up victimizing people, unfortunately. What do you think the solution, though, is? It would continue with the research so that we have something that is tried and true? Absolutely, Angela. We need to do more research. It's been very difficult because of prohibition. And, you know, when Harper got into, the, into office in 2006, we had a measly $4 million for medical marijuana research. He cut that immediately, so we have none. And that was just for medical cannabis. So we do need more money. We do need more research. And with prohibition being taken away, we're, we're going to finally get there. But it's going to take time. You know, the Department of National Transportation released a study here on December 16 about alcohol and uh, cannabis and the, the, the cannabis consumers are not at a risk of crashes like the alcohol are it's, it's a completely different substance alcohol will lower your inhibitions where cannabis can relax you or let's say you consume a sativa let's say it will make you more creative it'll make you want to say uh, clean your house to, to make your roommates happy in that and you'll have a, a smile on your face listening to music cleaning the house because you consumed a sativa so and that's the thing there's indicas there's sativas there's so much difference yeah, i know it's and a, we need yeah. to end this prohibition to get the research rolling and i mean yeah. really rolling Keith, uh, you got the conversation rolling on a lot of phone calls and texts to get to. I appreciate your time today. Uh, You bet, Angela. Thanks for being a professional. Hey, you bet. Keith Fagan, founder of Calgary 420 Cannabis Community. All right, I've got the phone calls, 403-974-8255. A number of texts to get to. uh, One in particular from Darren. I'll share that after this. So many thoughts, so little time. So make sure you get your texts and phone calls in 403-974-8255. I just want to clarify, I've had a few texters say the researcher who I was talking with from 3 to 3.30 from Washington State University, uh, some people are under the assumption that he's profiteering off of this. Uh, one person says he wants every police force in Canada and the U.S. to have his gizmo. He wants to make money off this. I, I want to be clear, Washington State University is working with a private company to look at their breathalyzer. So this was not Professor Loveriches. He's not making anything on this one. 403-974-8255. Let's go to the phones. Hey, Eric. Hey, how's it going, Angela? It's going well. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, you know, the the last caller that you had on, or sorry, the guest, excuse me, you know, I I was fascinated and I hear a lot of people uh, echo the same thing. They've smoked marijuana for a long time. They're used to it. It doesn't affect them. And, you know, this is the thing that really bothers me because, you know, we saw the other day Tiger Woods, for example, stumbling around. I don't know if you watched the oh, video. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's that's uh, prescription uh, medication. Same way that, uh, that medical marijuana will be prescription medication. Same thing with alcohol. I think we've got to be very careful and clear that, you know, once we set limits on, on what's acceptable, you go over them. I'm not interested in if you think you're fine to drive. You get caught over that limit, you are going to get in trouble. 
Yeah, and I think, Eric, um, the big difference when we're talking about, let's say, uh, Tiger Woods and what Keith is saying, a longtime user, is how the body has adjusted to it. However, I completely agree with you about let's, I want to make sure the research says five nanograms per your milliliter of blood or whatever it is. You've got to give me some proof that this is a standard because I have a feeling we're going to have people who say, I'm a longtime user. It doesn't affect me the same way as me. It's the same as people that drink alcohol. We all know that, you know, if somebody consumes alcohol every day, uh, they could probably have a, a, a far greater tolerance than the person that is an occasional consumer. So that really, again, we've got to set that hard line yeah. of what is going to be the acceptable amount. Yeah. And just going back, don't forget, it's not like a beer. You know, we know there's 5.5% alcohol on a Labatt Blue, for example. Um, as your previous caller said, you know, the, the THC level varies greatly. Yes. So do we yeah. really know? Is it that clear? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, Eric, I agree. And that's what I say. We That's why we need to have lots of research and they've got to be able to determine exactly what that level is. Because another uh, person here said, hey, Ange, wouldn't it be just like alcohol and zero tolerance? Why would they expect it to be more than what the laws are against alcohol? Darren, thanks for that. However, when it comes to alcohol, it's not zero tolerance. Alcohol, we've got that 0.08, you know, the different rules here in Alberta. So even somehow with alcohol after years, and I think Nicholas Leverich was saying that they had to keep tweaking, what is the, the number and how do we determine that blood alcohol level with alcohol, which as he said, THC, it's a little bit different. So, and edibles, you know, it's not going to be a breathalyzer because you're absorbing it differently in the body. Okay, let me get to a few more phone calls here. Hey, Richard. Hello. Hello. How are you, Jay? Doing well. What are your thoughts on this one? Um, I think uh, it's important for public officials, especially within the healthcare system, to, I mean, to educate people about the use of marijuana. I know that among marijuana users, amongst my friends and, you know, groups of people that I've like I'm a casual user used to be more frequent user but not so much anymore Um, you know there's common conceptions or misconceptions about um, the effects of marijuana for driving for example people will often compare it with alcohol consumption and and that alcohol makes drivers more aggressive and angry and whatever drive reckless whereas uh, frequent marijuana users who do drive often that oh well I'm more calm and cautious and you know I don't speed as much or um, so yeah I think I think there needs to be a very large education component because yeah. regardless people are always still gonna drink and drive or people are always gonna get high and drive and I think there just needs to be more awareness around the effects of it and and how it can really affect our 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 reaction timing, one and, could say. And Richard, I think even because I know I've had friends say, well, actually, when I smoke marijuana, I become a little more paranoid and I'm right. more cautious. Well, you right. know what? I don't know how much I want a paranoid slash cautious driver on Deerfoot right. either because so, we know what can happen when someone is being overly cautious and the flow of traffic isn't. So you're, totally. you're right. Huge educational component in this for sure. Richard, yeah. thanks for the call. Um, one one oh, last yeah. thing. I mean, I'm not sure how feasible this would be but you know how for example with diabetics they have the prick they yeah. prick the to test the, the insulin levels yeah. is that is that a feasible option for testing for marijuana to test the concentration in the blood <sighs> by a simple prick or like they know saliva tests don't really work especially if one uses edibles or oil to consume 
right? Those usually take about an hour to two to kick in and are substantially stronger than smoking it. So, Richard, I think when you start pricking someone, and we're talking about the pricking process, not the police officer that some people might call that, but um, I, I think then you're getting into a whole other area where you better have the right documents, uh, whether it be something from a, a judge that says I'm allowed to actually, because right. someone could argue that you're inflicting pain and I'm not going to let right. you take, and you're not going to take any that kind of bodily samples, all that other stuff. But Richard, thanks for the call. And speaking of Deerfoot, let's see how the drive home is going. Let's get in a few more phone calls here before I run out of time. How you doing, Darwin? Good, Angela. This is the creation of a solution for a problem that doesn't exist <laughs> and never will exist. And I'll give you a couple examples. Yeah. Firstly, no doctor prescribes alcohol because it's uh, destructive to the body. It causes all kinds of blackouts, immobilization, loss of sensory control. So you do have a problem when you take alcohol. You are impaired, but you're not when you take marijuana. Since the 60s, people have been smoking pot and we haven't had a problem. So why is it going to come about? They know from the state of Colorado and others that when you legalize it, you actually get a reduction in the usage. So we won't have a problem of that. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to do it for medical marijuana or any, then you're going to have to do it for opiates. You're going to have to do it for uh, muscle relax. You're going to have to do it yeah. for all those drugs. Well, even and- that researcher was saying they want to be able to, right now they're focusing on cannabis, but they're hoping to be able to have a breathalyzer that will be able to identify 20 it's different drugs. Because he was saying it's not just 100- marijuana. It's a 100% money maker and nothing to do with what the doctor prescribes to be used properly. Now, yes, but wait a second, when recreational use stuff yeah. illegally and they yeah. get over the limit, that's a whole different problem. Yeah. So, but Darwin, I'm I'm throwing myself ahead and a year from now. Uh, well, actually, a year plus on July 1st of 2018. When we're not talking medicinal marijuana here, we're not talking about something a doctor has prescribed. We're talking legalized recreational marijuana. But it has no effect. It's not the same as alcohol. It's not even close to the same. Yeah. Uh, okay, I don't want to compare it to alcohol because yeah. I know a lot of people are saying, why? I'm not comparing it to alcohol. Texters have just large said... large percentage of the population on uh, chronic painkillers yeah. and they can drive. Yeah. They don't have a problem. But some of, them are, some of them are impaired. Some of them have abused their prescription drugs. You but would, that's not following the doctor's rules. Right, but forget about the doctor, Darwin. I'm talking about recreational marijuana when I don't need a doctor's prescription and I get to go because I'm over 18 and I get to buy recreational marijuana. I'll go back to the 60s. We've had it here. People have been smoking it. 35% of the population, we don't have a problem. And they're never impaired. And, well, I'm not saying that, but we don't have a problem. <laughs> no, I, I agree, Darwin. impaired, yes, correct, that right. word impaired. They're not impaired. Okay. They're not, their motor conditioning is not limited or restricted. They don't black out. They're high, but they're not impaired. Marijuana does not do these things that drugs do in terms of impairment. Okay. Darwin, thanks for the call. I mean, I've got someone, though, saying booze alters the blood first, pot alters the brain first. And there's... Probably some truth to that, although I know I'll get a whole bunch of texters saying, what are you talking about? But, um, you know, I, I, I still think, it, depending on how much you use, you're going to be impaired. That's, I will definitely be doing a show um, when it becomes legalized to see the impact on person who is, well, I'm not even a user. I can't even fall into chronic or episodic. Although I do like the word episodic. We've got news coming up next. Breeze, thanks for all the texts that are coming in after our conversation about the breathalyzers for marijuana that Washington State University is currently working on. And really what caught our eyes, it was a couple of weeks ago that they were looking for volunteers. 
and uh, I'm sure they had a long list. The, the professor off air did say we don't need any more volunteers. But he also touched on the fact that when it comes to marijuana, research has been limited because of the fact that it was illegal and it's harder for people to come forward and participate in these kind, uh, this kind of research. So at least we're looking at exactly what, if anything, is there a, is there a level of impairment? I mean, a lot of people are saying, and this is crazy. You can never be impaired when you do marijuana. And uh, someone else here says, I would bet you any amount of money you couldn't tell if I was high. Guaranteed. No smell allowed. So I think the person is saying, first of all, yeah, the smell is a giveaway, but no smell allowed. Just by my actions, let me guess. No experience with it at all, but you won't listen to people who have the experience. Go figure. And I hope they're not speaking to me about that because I do believe that we have to have these conversations. And I'm not sitting here saying, oh, yeah, I know exactly what it looks like if someone's embarrassed. No idea. I mean, other than red eyes, but that doesn't necessarily mean you can't drive a vehicle. But there obviously is a point where, whether it be cannabis, prescription drugs, alcohol, there there is a level of impairment. And if the research proves me wrong, great. So I'm just saying when it finally is legalized, the recreational marijuana, that they actually have some hard research to back it up because... I mean, I the point zero eight. I, I think when we start bickering about point zero five, point zero eight, one texter said maybe we just have to have zero tolerance. That would probably be the easiest form of educating anyone about the alcohol or any kind of drugs. Just know that if you're going to use it, you don't drive, and everyone's going to be good. But that's not the way it works. We have this leeway when it comes to determining five nanograms or whatever it is in Washington State, 0.05 here in Alberta for different levels of alcohol impairment. Let me squeeze in a couple of more texts here. So we have a tool to test for alcohol impairment, looking for a tool to test for marijuana. What next? Testing for narcolepsy. What a bunch of knuckleheads. How have they tested for cannabis in the past? Or do you think no one has used marijuana yet? They'll only start after June 30th, 2018. Wow. And I definitely think you're bang on. This is not going to be the first time people are going to be smoking marijuana. It'll just be legal and driving. But you hear from officers who say, you know what? I know that person didn't have any alcohol in their system, but there was still a reason why they were driving as if they had some type of impairment. So they just need to have a tool. I don't think it'll go so far as other tools that that texter was suggesting. Oh, and what about people who are on medical marijuana with only the CBD extract? Will that be a questionable offense? And, you know, I'm just saying what our professor said in the last half hour. It's the THC that they would be looking for, not the CBD that controls the, the pain. But please... Understand that I am no expert. I usually count on you. But even when I get texters from people who have smoked and who no longer smoke, continue to smoke, even your expertise in the area or your opinions vary widely as well. So it's not just us non-smokers. It's 411. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott. Weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.